This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You can't, you can't condone what's going on, but... If you're Aston Villa, you are entitled to be absolutely disgusted. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me this week, could only get one guest on this week, and it's Mr. Chris Budd. Hello. Welcome. Uh, actually, you weren't on the last show, so uh, it's perfect that you're on this one to restore the balance in the My Old Man Said I've been, getting, I've been getting back to match fitness. I was benched. No, exactly. Yeah, we, we thought we needed to freshen you up with the playoffs on the horizon. We've got a big finale ahead of us. Indeed, we need everybody completely match fit. So, Mr. Bud, how are you? I'm very well. What's, what, what's been happening in the cult of Buddhism? Well, Buddhism's just got back from Jersey, which was nice. Dod- dodging taxes again? Well, I've got a new record again. out, so we need to get those royalties down. I've, I've heard about this record. Apparently it's not very good, according to Dan Rogers on the last show. Ah, yes, he's still quite bitter about the uh, the Hogan touch count results. He's getting his ass handed to him, so... Uh... <laughs> I think Dan illegally downloaded the record. It's on LimeWire. He's, he's not that good with that touch count. I mean, Max hit the nail on the head when he uh, in the last one when he said, uh, did Hogan even play? It was a and tapping, wasn't it? That, that was even a clue for Dan when Max said 12 touches and uh, all you got to do is go one lower and you've won. And he went one higher. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Schoolboy. Yeah, uh, I do apologise for the delay in these podcasts coming out. We put the last one out, which should have gone out pre-Easter, but uh, due to technical difficulties and time involved before I, I I went off to Amsterdam to visit my sister. And frankly, we were getting bored of Villa winning every week. We were running out of things to talk yeah. about. Well, I had actually booked the flight for this Easter trip 
when Villa were getting their asses handed to them. So uh, I thought the playoffs were over and Easter would, was a dead duck. And uh, obviously uh, two games happened in that Bolton and, and Millwall where we went up to 10 wins. So uh, I had to watch from afar, unfortunately. But uh, it's always good to be in Amsterdam where uh, my new team for next season, which I'm thinking about getting a season ticket for at Ajax, are just killing everybody in the Champions League. They're almost as entertaining to watch as Villa, aren't they? Yeah, if, if Villa didn't suddenly sprout into this amazing 10-game run, and which is now a 12-game unbeaten run, I would be tempted to move out to Amsterdam and live uh, a few streets down from my sister. You could get an li- li- literally live the high life. <laughs> exactly. Live the high life and get an IX season ticket and watch us dominate Europe. We could call you David van der Michael. Yeah, well, and, and you could call me other things if you want. I'm sure a lot of Villa fans would call me other things <laughs> if I ditched the Villa for IX, but uh, that's another story. But thankfully, we are heading into the playoffs and we don't even have to think of get-out plans and uh, nonsense such as that. Anyway, let's get on to the show and we are sitting comfortably in the box seat on all Villa issues because uh, the actual FA stroke EFL, whatever, whoever decides these things, have passed their verdict on the shenanigans that happened at Allen Road. So we have the full knowledge on the situation and we don't have to uh, hope that they don't fuck up and not rescind uh, Mr. Algarzi's red card. That has happened. So no ban for him. He's good for the playoffs. Mr. Prick, ba- uh, sorry, uh, Prick Bamford, uh, uh, Pat- sorry, Patrick Bamford uh, has been given a two-game uh, ban. They should have just given him Algarzi's ban, really. That would have been more fitting, I thought. To be honest, Bamford should have just stayed in the team. He seems like more of a liability when he's on the field. Yeah, no, to be yeah, because he was meant to be this golden boy when he was out on loan. Was it to Bristol? He's, and, been, he's, uh, been, he's been everywhere, hasn't he? Yeah, and, and now you're thinking, well, if we're playing Leeds in the playoffs at any juncture, then uh, if he's playing, then uh, yeah, jobs are good because I'd rather have Tommy Abraham. Thank you very much. Cheers, Tommy. Anyway. Coming up in the show, speaking of the Scott Hogan touch count meter, unfortunately, you haven't got any uh, competition uh, in this episode, but uh, we'll see how you get along with his uh, three appearances since uh, the last time we did it. Uh, Also, uh, in the show, we dissect the craziness of uh, what was Leeds away as our winning run that got up to 10 games comes to an end, but still... It doesn't matter because there's only one thing that matters and that's getting through two semi-finals, home and away, and then winning at Wembley and getting the fuck out of this league. So we'll talk about what's happening uh, in terms of uh, playoff issues. Uh, We'll quickly look at the Norwich game as well. And uh, we'll also have a look at, uh, speaking of the playoffs, why Villa haven't yet beaten uh, any of the top four teams in seven attempts. Right, first of all, three points. And to kick us off, Mr. Bud. Well, on the uh, topic of promotion, obviously, firstly, we can give our congratulations to Norwich and Sheffield United for earning automatics. We won't be getting too cringy about it, not like the club managed by one Steve Bruce, who put out a rather strange statement about their uh, bitter rivals. Cue the music. Few things in life unite and divide opinion like football, but one thing at this stage of every season is undebatable and I would like to offer the warm congratulations of everyone at Sheffield Wednesday to everyone at our neighbours Sheffield United for their achievement of promotion. We may be rivals, but we are all friends of the same city that holds such a unique tradition in the world of football. Recognition in the Premier League can only benefit Sheffield and we wish United well. 
whilst promising our loyal supporters that we will be giving our absolute best to ensure Wednesday will be tasting the same success this time next year, we must also congratulate Norwich City on their promotion and offer our commiserations to Ipswich Town, Bolton Wanderers and Rotherham United. We wish you a speedy return to the Championship. Ugh. Yuck. Horrible. Now, who wrote that shite? Yeah, he's getting... <laughs> is this the kid who's just got sacked from the villa? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> He's not a kid. It's all about the engagement. And I think they wanted engagement just for people slagging him off, saying, delete this, delete this, delete this. Uh, It's a bit cringy, I thought. It's just weird. I mean, can you imagine Villa doing that to the Blues? I can't really... Can you imagine Villa doing that to anyone? Two lines, congratulations, you know, Sheffield United and Norwich, you know, fair enough on a tweet. But to write a whole... uh, prose and verse on it and be as cringy i mean oh commiserations to it switch bouncing in the we all share the same city fuck off one love sheffield fuck off q michael jackson we are the world yeah, a bit of a weird one there uh just jealousy i think from sheffield wednesday point number two david de Gea. Now, my father, my old man, is a Manchester United fan, and he's he's never liked De Gea from day one. And I must admit, the man has no idea how to defend his near post. But he's very good at social media-friendly Hollywood saves. And, I mean, he, you know, he's a good goalkeeper, I suppose, all in. But he, you know, he uses his legs over hands too much. Anyway, cut to the chase. Basically cost United top four this season. Would that, would that be a fact? Yeah, amongst other things, but yeah. Basically lost Liverpool the title. Is that a fact? I think for the sake, for, for the argument of clickbait, yes. <laughs> well, I'm not going to put it in the title. But, you know, w- w- what would you be going for in the playoffs? Uh, De Gea on this season's form or Jed Steer? Jed Steer, thank you very much. But still, uh, let's not put off uh, Paris Saint-Germain, who have reportedly uh, offered £90 million for De Gea. You know, this was the kind of figure that Real Madrid were men almost got him for. I mean, there was that, remember that season, a couple of seasons ago when yeah, uh, yeah. he was about to leave and you just thought, well, if, you know, if they're going to offer that much, just, you know, sell him down the river, for, you know, just get the money. And, you know, we're talking about Paris Saint-Germain paying him almost half a million a week. And it's like... Which is bananas for a goalkeeper. How f- fucking stupid has this game got? I mean, it's ridiculous. And if it wasn't getting more stupid... Aren't United about to trigger a, was it, 120 million euro buyout clause for the Atletico Atletico Madrid goalkeeper in as his replacement? It's just absurd. Yeah, the Slovenian keeper Jan Ablak. Oblak and yeah. Oblak, and you're just thinking, hang on a minute, Manchester, who's running Manchester United? This is just because absurd, isn't it? Business wise, they're they're just a bunch of idiots because they've just been buying players for top dollar and this is one of their problems they've been buying these players we're not really fitting them into a team or looking at it long term i mean obviously they've they've swapped managers uh they haven't had a you know a good run of a manager for a long time but there should be i mean you know what villa are trying to uh put in now where you've got like your head coach but the overall plan is you know they were the director of football whatever so when you're buying and squad building you're buying it for the long term and you know managers you can swap and change but if you want to turn manchester united round you you got to also turn it around in the transfer market in terms of uh if you're going to if somebody if somebody's dumb enough to come along for 90 million to get david de gea i'm pretty sure you can get a decent keeper for less than 10 million who's actually in better form than david de gea and, well, and and one that might actually fit in with your team. You know, you're going to go and spend 120 million euros on a goalkeeper that might not fit in with the the unit or 
there's no guarantee. You know, for 120 million, you want an absolute banker, don't you? Yeah, the bottom line is, you know, you can get away because if you're going to get 90 million, you can get away with spending, you know, over the top 30 million, and you know, you you profit in 60 million. I don't understand why you would pay an extra what is it, like 15, an extra 15 million after you've got the sale of the century for a keeper is absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, that is an example of this game's fucked. And uh, the repercussions are when you look at, uh, and this is point number three, total losses in the championship last season, according to the uh, annual financial report. And this you know, still waiting for Boltons, who are in the shit, and Sheffield Wednesdays. But so far, championship teams made 521 million losses and in the same breath the EFL says financial fair play is working very well you've got people protesting for climate change and trying to push it on the agenda that it's a real you know serious issue which it is but football going down the drain is a serious issue how how can it sustain itself if anything outside the premier league is just crumbling and bolton now i mean they still haven't sorted out that brentford game it's it's getting ridiculous now and uh, i think by the time this podcast comes out the efl board will be meeting again to try to uh, rearrange this fixture and i think the they've Advise Bolton uh, EFL regulations provide that any match can be played within four days at the end of a normal playing season, which is obviously Sunday the 5th of May. The ramifications of you know a club not being able to pay its players and also its staff. I mean, people say, well, why don't they just put out an under 15s, under 18s team? But you know, these these are people who also want to be paid, and also there'll be scabs for like breaking the picket line, and anybody with a principle, you know, wouldn't do that. They're in the same boat essentially. So pretty much, I think the easiest way to sort this one out is go three 0 Brentford. There you go. You, you would have thought that would be the logical thing to do because re- regardless of the Bolton side of the argument, you're still messing around. Brentford away fans who it's it's not you know it's going to be a potentially a long journey on a midweek game but this is something you've got to foresee and look at six months ago they should be thinking Bolton are in the shit here but let's try to sort this out as we go along I mean new owners came along at the time of the Villa game that's why the Villa game uh, went ahead and they promised this amount and then obviously this amount has never appeared yet and uh, the new owner we don't want to go into detail now uh, has a bit of history uh, in previous ownerships Uh, it's a bit of a shame but as I said the bigger picture is football's got a serious issue because of what the Premier League has uh, essentially done and wants teams that try to you know get in the Premier League and start spending these fucking stupid amounts of money on goalkeepers as we've just highlighted once they get relegated you know parachute payments unless you get straight back within three or so years you suddenly the infrastructure the business infrastructure of your club is completely unstable and you know Bolton were a mainstay once upon a time in the Premier League I mean they, I remember they were third at Christmas once and you had Sam Allardyce uh, saying uh, we need to be cha- challenging for the Champions League now give me more money and then he handed his resignation in essentially saying they lacked uh, ambition because when they were when he got into uh, the top three they didn't back him but this is another, you know, another reason why these clubs get top heavy, and then when they do go down, they explode. You know, this is a Bolton team that I think they finished seventh in that league, and they, you know, they were finished. I think they finished in the UEFA Cup twice in three seasons. Uh, I mean, famously, they drew at Bayern Munich to all, and they beat Atletico Madrid one nil, and they were making history. And obviously, they were just known for being one of the founder members, and you know their history was distant. But then, you know, they were creating new history, and now they're in, you know, can't even fulfil fixtures. So football's got a bit of a problem. 
Anyway, let's crack on uh, with the show. First of all, uh, thank you very much to the new Mile Man Said patrons, to Philip O'Donoghue, Simon Laws, Rufus Broad, and Ruben Shipway for upping his pledge as well. And also, uh, he just came up under the name James. The James. I don't know if that's the band James. Oh, sit oh, down. Oh, sit down. But uh, anyway, thank you very much. And please do help support the show and the website because at the moment it is essentially a, a pointless exercise. I'll be honest with you for me to put any posts up on the website because they just get swamped in the clickbait that's out there. So going forward, uh, essentially, we just want to be a completely clickbait free site and you know just, just be genuine in a world that's just full of you know, it's a cesspool of shit. Uh, shit and nonsense. So please do support the podcast and the website by becoming a Mile Man Said patron. Uh, go to mylemansaid.com and uh, click on the, the patron link on the menu bar for all the details and any questions, get in touch. You can also be a, a Facebook supporter if you see the uh, become a supporter on the Facebook page. Uh, that is another way to access it. And you will also get the bonus podcasts on uh, the Facebook page as well. Right. Uh, thank you very much. And on to what should we have next? The Scott Hogan touch count meter. I, think, I feel that you need to make a little jingle for that, Chris, but I'll, I'll work on it. That out. I'll, uh, I'll just I'll just put that one. Okay. Up. To be honest with you, I was tracking down to see if Hulk Hogan had a chant or something that I could use. Well, he did have he did have his entrance music, didn't he? he used to come out to uh, "I Am a Real American." <laughs> Well, I'm amazed that you know that. How how come you know that? Banger. Because <laughs> that's that's what I could find, and I just thought that that might go over people's heads uh, a bit too much. But I was just going to use like the jingle of, of, of the start of that song, but I just thought, yeah, it's, it's too much what, over people. Fight heads for your people. life, fight for what's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Scott let's Hogan crack on. Sits on the bench. Un- <laughs> And he's actually managed to uh, get off the bench three times since the last uh, metre reading. And he scored. And he scored a goal as well in one of those games. Unfortunately, we don't have... Uh, we don't. I, I like it when it's a face-off. We, we don't have an opponent for you. And your team, you were represented by Max Stokes in the last uh, edition, are 3-0 up since we turned it into a uh, competition. Walk in the park. So uh, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do total for three games or should we go through the games individually? Let's go for a total. This makes it harder. So he he came off the bench in all three? Well, I'm going to give you the minutes and the opponents and the score. Well, we'll go through them one by one and and then you'll have a total. Right, first one, Sheffield United beat Forest 2-0. 65 minutes, Hogan enters the field of play. How many touches? Ten. Four. Wow, fucking hell. Back to his best. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right, next game, away against Hull. Okay. Sheffield United won 3-0. What, how do you win and how do you lose here? I mean, I mean we're all losers, let's be honest. Yeah. All right, well, we'll just go through it and I'll I'll, I'll give you a verdict if you did well oh, or, or not at the end. Right, Hull, Sheffield United. Sheffield United won 3-0 away. Hogan enters the fray. On the 70-minute mark. So he's got 20 minutes. Five. No, not even close. You should have gone for the five in the first one. 13 touches. Wow. So he, he got live, involved. Lively. That, 
lively for 20 minutes that is i think pound for pound minute for minute for touch Bargain. that is probably one of his best efforts because normally if he does 90 minutes he's about 12 so 13 is pretty it's easy pretty it's easy when you throw in little though, isn't it it is it is they were they were probably doing the old uh, ole ole and just kept passing it to hogan right third and final game sheffield united so what was what we got here you went for 12 in the first one yeah then five yeah. okay i'm just writing this down right in the third one i like like how I tried to make this out to be a big like daytime it's a game show, isn't it? Game show, yeah. <laughs> right, third one, third and final game, Sheffield United two, Ipswich nil, pretty much securing Sheffield United Premier League football next season. Scott Hogan actually starts and played 62 minutes so he got a good uh, hour in there how many touches probably back to his usual self including the golf i'm going to say 14 oh not bad not bad 17 Ooh. so i think that game against hull he was he was going absolutely crazy 13 touches in 20 minutes so in total so your total was if my maths are correct uh, 12 5 14 31 and the actual total was 34 oh. so 3 out and i know i know, I know old scotty too well you see that is that is pretty formidable i'm giving you another win so it's four, Thanks, four zero that's, and, that's and obviously probably congratulations to scott hogan who's managed to get himself promoted <laughs> yeah you could do a double promotion i was gonna which, i nearly uh, said for his endeavors but clearly not but no. congratulations to the other players yeah I mean, hardly any touches, but he manages to score and get promoted in uh, one game. Does he still get the promotion bonus then, do we think? Well, there's other other things, uh, sorry, other lines of questioning coming out saying, uh, so does he return to us for the playoffs? No, and I don't, he doesn't. His does contract's he? till June, isn't it? A loan deal expires in June. Yeah, that contract would be there to cover the playoffs yeah. if Sheffield United needed them. So that's the answer to that question. Do you think Sheffield United will put in uh, and give him a, a squad place for next season in the Premier? League? I mean, they're a Premier League team now, so they've got a hundred million for finishing bottom. So we'll have our we'll have our twelve million back. Thank you very much. <laughs> would you put it? Would you put it? <laughs> would you put it on Scott Hogan if you were Sheffield United? Because uh, no. Chris Wilder's uh, obviously he's not a fool because he's 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 almost a serial promotion winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've spoken about him on, on numerous occasions, haven't we? Yeah, with uh, Oxford, Northampton, and obviously uh, Sheffield United twice now. Uh, and you'd think he'd be wiser than to drop a shed of money on Scott Hogan, but you know, there's hope for us here. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get our money back. Crossfit, fingers crossed. We might take Ross McCormack with him. No, he's he's. Uh... Let's, let's not go ludicrous. Right, on to... Well, it's not sad. The winning run is over. We got it up to 10 games, which is historic. It was historic. Never happened before. Never happened before in our history. I'm always a bit dubious when you break a record or you set a record like, you know, people comparing Tammy Abraham's uh, achievements to Peter With. And, you know, you're not in the top tier when the record happens. So, but still, it's, you know, the fact that we've never done it before is, you know, in our illustrious history is obviously, you know, a big thing. And the manner in which we've done it's been great. Yeah, all, all kinds of crazy wins as well. I mean, it's been nothing but entertaining and Leeds game did not disappoint. No. It's gone from winning run to unbeaten run now. We are, we are 12 games. The, the Stoke one all draw suddenly slips in uh, to yeah, yeah. Uh, being relevant yet again. But ultimately, it doesn't mean anything if you don't go up, as we've said previously. Exactly. So going into the Leeds game, it was a bit of a funny one because Leeds, I mean, Leeds should be automatic promotion, but uh, I mean, just quickly... They were they were top at Christmas, and historically, in recent years, and we go let's go back to two thousand and eight, 
uh, when Wolves were top at Christmas. So this is the last 10 seasons. Yeah. The last 10 seasons, if you're top at Christmas, you get automatically promoted unless you're Leeds. Crazy. Seven out of 10, I think, uh, have won the league. You know, Wolves, Newcastle, QPR, Cardiff. Bournemouth, Newcastle, Wolves again. You normally walk away with the trophy as well. So, uh, you know, Leeds, uh, when you look at their playoff record, I think they've been in the championship players four times and failed, or maybe that's the final, I can't remember. But they definitely had four failed attempts in the playoffs as well. So it's not looking good for them at, at this moment in time. But with that said, uh, both teams went into that game. It was kind of a nothing game because Leeds had, Leeds played a day later of Sheffield United. So it was game set and match in terms of automatic promotion. Stupid 12 o'clock kickoff, uh, which I was going to go on the Saturday, but couldn't do it at this. Time. And the Leeds fans, actually, to their credit, uh, did were chanting Sky TV is fucking shit. Hey, fair game. The thing is, I don't see fans being united in voicing their concerns about uh, what's happening on, on these matters of, you know, changing a game. So suddenly the away fans have to get up at like ridiculous o'clock in the morning i mean i remember going on a march several years ago and that was quite well attended by all different team supporters and then the next one the year later you know because it was raining hardly anybody there and you just think the premier league and, and pretty much football per se can just take the mickey out of this large massive consumer base that if actually had a voice together they could basically dictate more of the conditions but you know hey ho anyway the game actually was a much more feistier and a better contest than i actually expected i mean dean smith went pretty strong obviously abraham was missing which was uh, a card we'll get to play in the playoffs if we play him again hopefully abraham will be fit what was your uh, take on the game before we get into the obvious yeah uh, i mean you, you know you put the, the the chaos that happened later on to one side for a minute and you, you'd actually say you know it's a good name for the good game for the neutral it was certainly two teams that you would say you can see why they're where they are they, they both tried to play you know high tempo proper football but also there was a little bit of niggle in the game which I think made for a, probably an entertaining spectacle for the neutral possibly both sides were a little bit kind of wasteful in the final third but actually a lot of the approach play from both teams was really good yeah we don't care about the neutral by the way but but already before you know even after the first hour you thought this is you know pretty much a tune up this is going to be a tasty final if both teams actually made it to the uh, playoff final because yeah. you know unless there's a miracle and Leeds get hammered and West Brom beat Derby I think Leeds play in Ipswich aren't they Yes on the final day yeah they go yeah to unless Ipswich. Leeds get beat by Ipswich and West Brom beat Derby then. Uh, we're playing uh, West Brom in the final. So, you, I mean, already you were thinking that it's going to be a tasty final if this is the final, and that's without what happened. And, uh, I mean, b- before we get on to that, what do you think? I mean, is, you know, Leeds fans crying about Grealish diving and jump, you know, what, what, what was your take on that? It's how Grealish plays. You know, some, of the, some of the tackles are probably lighter than others, but there's this one or two. There was a Cooper tackle that was a leg breaker. There was the Dallas one that ended up with Bielsa getting booked for instead of the player. So they, they clearly had a plan how to negate the Grealish threat, and that was leathering. Yeah. And we've seen that time yeah, and time numerous again. times. I mean, and Grealish relishes that side of the game, fortunately, but you do have to kind of try and protect him where possible. I don't think the ref had a particularly good game for either. I think both sets of supporters were pretty united in their sort of scathing review of the referee and his yeah. assistants. You know, when you see all the clips, it's like, well, they're obviously targeted him. Uh, you know, as most teams do, it's part of the game plan. 
I think Leeds, at certain points, Leeds just weren't very clever. You know, they're, they're, they're diving in, knowing full well if, he, if they make contact, he is going to go down. He's not diving, yeah. he's just he's, he's putting them in stupid positions and they're, they're kind of like... You know, they're biting, aren't they? Yeah, and he, you know he's going to bait them in. Absolutely. Obviously, I mean, I mean, you could, I mean, if Grealish was doing, uh, you know, acrobatics in the penalty box trying to get penalties, then uh, yeah, he's, a, you know, he's, he's a diver, and you can label him. But when it's like, they, well, they're trying to leather him in his own half. Yeah, in open play, then it's like, well, you know, if he's going to roll a little bit more, then why not? pick up the advantage it's because he's been targeting and what's he got to do just like take the foul and not get a actual free kick it's you know it's it's come on it's common sense people he's not like this Ashley Young diving in penalty boxes and Luis Suarez and you know all those kind of guys and by the way the reason why they're known as top players is because they're getting results at the end of the day yeah uh, but I mean the main what was the main chances in the first it was probably Codger fluffed his I mean I, I thought if we had Abraham we'd have beaten Leeds uh, and that's I think they, what I'm the, taking the big f- Codger chance I think in the second half Abraham would probably bury that and I think what you noticed you're less so against sort of uh, in the Millwall game I think because we were you know, playing against the far inferior side but at Leeds when we're going to play one up front you all of a sudden Abraham's play outside of the penalty area it really shines yeah. through, which Codger, you just don't get enough out of him for him to be the lone striker against a good team. And that's why people will refer to Co- as Codger being isolated uh, up front because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't gel. He doesn't, he doesn't, as a yeah, team. he doesn't lead the line in the same way that someone like Keenan Davis can put himself about. You know, Davis might not offer you the yeah. goal threat, but Codger, at least you know. I mean, look, he came on against um, in the Millwall game, for example, and played down the middle and did a really good job for sort of 15 minutes because yeah. he can put himself about and he will give the likes of a Pontus Janssen something to think about, whereas I don't see Codger doing that. It's just not how he plays. But let's go on to the incident. And and when, when like, n- neutral pundits, and as I said, we don't care about neutrals, look at this in isolation, uh, and we're talking about the Leeds goal, and they're saying, oh, well, you know, they should play to the whistle, whatever. What they're most of them are doing the neutrals who haven't actually watched the whole game is they're missing out the context of what happened before and that was Connor Horahan who was on the right flank and he spotted the uh, the Leeds player down and he put the ball out and he, he got a bit of a barracking from the Villa fans who were actually you know right down in that corner now you know I'm kind of a you know win by all means necessary kind of chap when it comes to football and you're just thinking what are you doing Horahan just fuck them play to the whistle and I think this is what set the whole what came after in motion because if he had played to the whistle there then I think Leeds would have uh, attacked us with intensity and they wouldn't have slowed down and that's what basically wrong-footed everybody is when they slow down and they appeared to be putting the ball out. I think that's ultimately where the annoyance comes isn't it is that they've, they've, they've yeah. kind of shown that oh we go we have every intention we're on the touchline we'll roll it out no worries and then everything stops and then all of a sudden the guy rolls the ball through and click yeah. scores you know because if Horahan hadn't done what he'd done and if Horahan had played on, Leeds would have played on. So Villa would have been defended as normal. Leeds would have attacked as normal. And, you know, I think that game would have ended nil-nil. I don't think ultimately either team deserved to win or lose that game. I think it was two yeah. very even sides. And I think um, in the end, you know, common sense prevailed. Just to uh, finish the the, the Conor Horahan putting the ball out, I don't think, uh, I'm hoping that Conor Horahan wouldn't put the ball out like that if it was a Wembley final. I think you have to play to the whistle because if this was a bit of a nothing game in that respect and I 
think that you know that intensity maybe wasn't wasn't completely there and uh, I think that's pretty fair so certainly in the neither team being particularly cutthroat and I'm hoping that uh, he got them he'll get the memo uh, you know that don't do that again but anyway going going to back to what actually hat kicked off and uh, there's only one man that uh, I think the the main man here is Patrick Bamford in more ways than one because when Leeds scored and the first thing that happened to click was Horahan grabbed him and rightly so because the commentator even when uh, Leeds were down the flank said Kodja down no recognised striker on the bench well, again I think Will Leeds put it out oh this is this is this is controversial click goes on and he scores and Villa will be fuming I mean to be fair to the guy it's a cracking finish isn't it you know, he cuts inside really well and whips it in the bottom corner. It's a great finish, but but he's playing a defence that Al- Almo had already given yeah. up, and you know the other players are you know playing at seventy five percent effort really. Yeah, there's certainly they, the air you know, of in two yeah, minds. There's the air of well, surely he's not going to stick this in, and he does, and that's yeah. when all hell breaks loose. So I think Horahan, no problem with that, and then you get a position where he's he's hanging on to. Uh, is it click? Yeah. And then Banford's got his arm around. Banford's got his arm around the neck of Horahan th- from behind. He throws him to the floor, doesn't he? And he throws him to the floor while Horahan's holding on to the other player. So you know, Leeds fans are taking still, you know, taking still shots of the video, or whatever, where it looks like Horahan's throwing the other guy to the ground. But what they're not actually looking at is there's an arm around his bloody neck. It's Bamford, you know, dragging him to the ground. Fast forward a few seconds, and then uh, Al Ghazi shrugs off uh, Branford. Yeah, Bamford's in Al Ghazi's back, isn't he? Al Ghazi sort of turns around yeah. to sort of swipe him off. And then Bamford completely overreacts. Bamford's on the deck. No idea who put him there, if anybody. And he didn't even touch his face. I mean, everybody's seen the video. And then suddenly Bamford holds his face, drops down, and you're just thinking, what a fucking prick. What you don't expect is uh, Al Ghazi to get sent off for it. And, and, you know, obviously the player didn't expect it either. Yeah, you can see as soon as the ref goes to have the conversation with the linesman, at that point you're starting to fear the worst when you can kind of, yeah. you, you can almost lit read what they're saying. And it's, you just think, oh, this is going to be one of those incidents. Now, isn't it well. funny that you you should only really give a red card if you're 100 percent sure that something's happened? Yeah, and that and hashtag, that official hashtag VAR, and uh, exactly, and that official has, has in his mind seen it, but how can he have, how could he have seen it because it didn't actually happen? Which is, I mean, it's just fucking ridiculous. Well, he gets the early decision wrong because the guy's offside with the ball through anyway, so he's not paying attention properly anyway. And there's so much going on in the melee that I don't see. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen an angle. To a hundred percent rubber stamp, he was offside. I'm, I'm not totally sure. I've heard, you know, commentators. I'll, g- I'll say give this the guy the benefit of the doubt at this point, anyway. Um, yeah, that. So, I mean, just from a podcast point of view, unless you've seen an angle, uh, and I don't think they've they've been that apparent that it's it's you know it's, it's potentially a 50-50 one, but actually that isn't really a, a you know you don't even need that as an extra point no. to attack the officials with because what he's done in the first place, the main thing is uh, you know it's a, it's an atrocious call, and that's why there should be VAR just because it would sort that out 100%, and I think you'd find that Bamford would have got sent off there. And, of course, now you know, with the retrospective stuff, Al Ghazi's fine. You know, he'll more than likely play. Who has become a an important piece him and, in the um, Dean Smith jigsaw. Him and Taylor have developed a really strong partnership on the left-hand side, yeah. haven't they? Which, at, at one point this season, you, you, you know, you'd have thought would have been the last thing they'd have been getting praised for. They're, you know, they're in a position where if you were picking your strongest Villa 11 uh, going back a few months, uh, you p- perhaps wouldn't even have them in it. No. But now uh, they're kind of a bit of a dynamite duo there. And, and Al Ghazi, I just get the feeling 
you know, he's going to get better. I think he's confident, isn't he? He's really settled in and I think he's found his place and he knows how the team works for him. And I think he, he kind of sees the prize at the end of the... Yeah, because, he, you know, he's asking to take penalties, as, as we alluded to in the last show. He's asking to take penalties, asking for free kicks. And obviously, Hurahan and Grealish are, you know, saying, no, actually, that's my job. But it's good to see him kind of shine. And I, I like with I him said, the fact that he, he, he takes responsibility, a little bit like we've said about Grealish in the past and a couple of other players like McGeehan, he he wants yeah. the ball, doesn't he? He wants the ball in key areas. He wants to influence the yeah. game. Some people shy away. He just he says, "I want to get the ball, and I'm going to run at the fullback." And you know what he's going to do every time. And I think now that he's getting the support of Taylor, he feels a little bit more confident to go. Do you know what? I can look at going forward. I don't always have to be thinking about bailing my partner out. And he's. I think there's a few levels from him to potentially come. Which I mean, he's got some tricks, and he's you know he's obviously uh, he's got a decent you know he's six foot. He's got a physical I think presence. The, the, the big as well. thing to come from him ultimately will be consistency, won't it? I think that's something Smith's yeah. discussed before. But against Bristol City, for example, I mean everything super, you know, he pretty he? much set up pretty much everything, didn't yeah. he? Uh, Horahan, uh, no action against him. Rightfully so. I didn't even know that was an issue. Uh, I mean, I've since seen on social media Leeds fans going, "Oh, what about the punch Horahan?" It's not. It's not. And it's like it's called a phantom punch, I think, because I never saw him throw one punch, and he didn't because he didn't. <laughs> and it's, it's just like sometimes fans see what they want to see. He's getting uh, involved, and, and I like to see that. I like, yeah. you know, the fact that you know sometimes we've certainly said to him, "Oh, he comes across a bit nice." Well, he's you know in recent in recent yeah. times, he's definitely shown he's got a bit of snap and like some bite to his personality, which is great. Yeah, I think when that prick came on the pitch uh, in the Blues game, and he uh, was right at the front row, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he, up. He, he, I think yeah, I think he grabbed he grabbed the guy and he was you know ready to run him through. Probably should have been allowed to actually. But uh, I mean, that one th- funny thing is I remember looking at that footage again and seeing McGinn was uh, making sure he was nowhere like, to uh, be seen, <laughs> nowhere to be seen because naturally he would have been straight in there, but realised his yellow card situation. Well, he very nearly got himself sent off soon after anyway with a pretty reckless tackle, but. We won't go into that. Yeah. He's good. I mean, he picked up a yellow, which means uh, that only a foolish manager would play him against Norwich. And Dean Smith is already, you know, in the post-match of the Leeds game. Off, said he's not going yeah, not not to play him, and uh, rightly so. I mean, to be honest, Lee, uh, Dean Smith took a few risks in that Leeds game. Unnecessary risks. Did he need to play McGinn? Did he need to play Mings? Did he need to even play Grealish? Because obviously they set about him. I think it was probably important for him to, he wanted to give Villa a really good sort of gauge of where are we at against, you know, the the, the, the top sort of top two, top three sides. Where you know, Are we close? Answer, yes. Injuries-wise, though, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it, you know, you could have had, certainly it's a couple of the tackles on Grealish. They could have been catastrophic for the playoff campaign. I don't expect to see that team start against Norwich by any means, but we'll, you know, we'll come on to that later. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. To be honest, I, I think it, you know, although he's taken risks uh, on the players, in this situation, you wanted to put a marker down against Leeds. Yeah. And the important thing was not to get beat by them. But also, the one thing that we learned from this game, and I think Tyron Ming summed it up in his post-match tweet, was we will not be bullied by Leeds because we've got enough. Absolutely. We've got the characters. He loved that game, Mings. He was, he it was, was his kind like, of game, wasn't it? It was physical. Like a pig in shit. He was smiling after the game and saying it was brilliant. I think a few of the players, you could tell it's, they like those kind of games. Even Grealish likes the physical stuff, doesn't he? He's come out and said it before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got, I mean, Taylor likes it. I think Almo's stepped up in the last few yeah. weeks and he likes, you know, he made a good block. I think early, sort of early grown into that style of play. Yeah. McGinn, it's, it's his middle name. I mean, normally, I think if he if he hadn't have had uh, disciplinary things looming over him, I think you'd have probably you'd have probably seen an extra ten percent, twenty percent out of McGinn at Leeds. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's why I think because we've shown we've matched them, and you know, Leeds are. I mean, I call them dynamic and you know, physical. Uh, you know, for example, uh, we've we've spoken about that Derby team and how they're not that physical. And if they're on song, they they can beat a lot of the teams uh, in the championship, and you know, hence why they're they're up there and thereabouts in the playoffs. But when they came against us over two games, we beat them. You know, we seven nil over at two a, games. At an absolute and, canter. And when they've come up against Leeds uh, derby, they've they're similarly six one down over two games, lost both. Yeah. So that shows you uh, there are kind of levels to that kind of uh, more up tempo, you know, more intensive kind of play. And you know, we've shown in this this episode that we've actually uh, matched them. But as you said, I think we've got ten percent more out of McGinn, who won't be walking a, a tightrope in terms of yellow cards. And obviously, Tammy Abraham comes in that changes the whole dynamic and allows yeah. us to play with one up top. And properly. I think, and I think to be fair, you know, obviously, um, you know, in regards to the whole incident, and we'll come on to that about the goal. Bielsa get gets a lot of credit from the game for the sort of the moral side of things, but I'd actually say tactically, he probably got it right on Grealish in that game. Bruce did. Yeah. Bruce similarly did it at Sheffield Wednesday, actually, where they've, they've actually managed to shut Grealish down. Grealish at, at Ellen Road didn't actually get that chance at any point to really get into a, a position where he could really hurt Leeds because Leeds were a little bit more switched on at the back. And they kind of, I think both teams managed to keep each other at arm's length to a certain extent. You know, there were both teams had a couple of good chances, but the, it wasn't like either team was sort of bombarding the goal, was it? Or neither, neither keeper had a string of great saves. Or I mean, to be honest, Leeds... Like they were at Villa Park, were very wasteful. I mean, their finishing was appalling uh, at Villa Park, especially in that first half. I mean, we were 2-0 up and they outplayed us. And similarly in this game, I think we had the better chances. They had perhaps more chances uh, earlier doors, especially. And their, some of their finishing was woeful. And, and to the point that after two or three, you just thought, well, they're not really any threat. They've got no real end product. And that's kind of, of shown, game. hasn't it, in the, the sort of the, the second half of the season. You look at their, the amount of goals they've scored and 
Yeah, you know, their main striker, uh, Roof's injured. And now and now Banford's missing for and, two and, games. And uh, they're without Alioski as well. So they've, you know, the second half of the season, they have shown, you know, having lost seven games, they are not the team they were, you know, earlier in the season. We'll talk about yeah. them, uh, what's happened to them recently in, in the when we discuss the playoff situation and the potential yeah. of meeting them again. But uh, the, the Villa goal, let's just quickly uh, cover that. Uh, I mean, I joked on social media that it was uh, goal of the season for Albert Adoma because he essentially took it from his own half, waltzed through the whole team. practically the whole team as if he was invisible and then obviously put it away. Was it easier than Hutton? Against the Blues, that's open up for debate. Ooh, I mean, the uh, pressure I mean, I, was on. I put a poll up, and obviously people said no. Uh, I mean, to be was, fair, uh, easier. I'd say that Pontus Janssen put up a better fight than Gar- uh, than Craig Gardner. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was quite interesting, and not a lot of people picked up on this, but before that decision to gift the goal was made, the first conversation is Pontus Janssen and Dean Smith. Yes. And Pontus Janssen's basically saying, no, you know, no, 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 and... Dean Smith, I think, is suggesting it at that stage. I think that's when John Terry and Yedinak weighed in. Yeah, and then I, th- I think you see Dean Smith basically saying, fuck off, to Janssen, to put it politely, but not put words into Dean Smith's mouth because Dean Smith had his back turned to the camera, but his body basically, you know, is saying that. And then you see... Bielsa with his arm on Smith and obviously going through the translator and that's obviously when it's uh, the decision is made. But Pontus Janssen obviously has that altercation with Smith initially and then obviously uh, when it's back on the pitch and uh, Albert Adomar and, and Neil Taylor, I thought Adomar would serve it up for Taylor to put home for his, uh, his probably his best chance to score ever. Sure. Gone. Gone. You'll never, see You'll never have that chance, Neil Taylor, again. But yeah, no. I mean, you know, you deliberate. Well, what what had happened if Janssen had blocked it and it'd gone off for a corner? Would they have to keep playing? Yeah, until probably. They I mean, Bielsa wasn't happy with him, was he? And Janssen, there seemed to be no. you know, words had between the pair of them as well. Yeah, and I think one of the, another Leeds player had a word with him as well. But that would have been quite funny if you know the ball goes off for a corner, then they take the corner. Most all the Leeds players are just standing there, statues, and then you know Janssen heads it out. <laughs> Yeah, and it just carries on, and then Villa shoot it hits or the Villa post. just can't hit the target. <laughs> could have got, could have got embarrassing there, so that's probably why Adomar didn't pass it to Taylor. He, he took it, but you know, himself. fortunately, that you know the the game ended fairly in a draw, and I think with all the retrospective results that have come back, with Horahan being you know off the hook and El Ghazi rightfully being acquitted, and Bamford likely to face a two game ban, just if anything, just for being a cunt. Completely justified. But in a nutshell, Dean Smith and Bielsa saved the referee's face and the official's face. Because if that goal hadn't happened, that equaliser hadn't happened, Villa fans were ready to kick off. It was, I mean, I was, you know, fuming. I wasn't even at the fucking game. It was just like when injustice kicks in on such a scale like that, like not only dubious goal, I mean, yes, in isolation placed to the whistle, but, you know, there there is context to what happened. Then that's sending off and it's not a, sending off and this has happened to Villa a few times in the past when it's just like oh for fuck's sake when Villa are in a good position then it just collapses because of incompetent officials and that's why I'm completely uh VAR and the only problem with VAR there's nothing wrong with VAR it's just how the uh football authorities have tried to introduce VAR is just a joke they should have really thought about it and then bang, you know, trial it, of course, and then put it out. But the way they've communicated it and, and made it this grey area still when it should be uh, VAR in that game, Al Ghazi's not sent off. Bamford probably has to go. And it doesn't obviously solve the uh, 
the moral dilemma, as it were, but the moral dilemma. But it's it's not there to do that. The moral dilemma is you know something else. It makes sure that we're, there's no injustice in terms of Villa will actually have eleven men on the pitch to try to you know get the goal back. Which I actually thought you know when we went down to ten men, I thought we put in a fantastic shift defensively when Leeds kind of had their tails up, and I think Villa actually shut up shot pretty well. And that was another point scorer in terms of if we meet again. Oh, very much so that we can keep a team at arm's length of that quality. We kept them at arm's length with ten men and. Uh, as we said, Mings was immense, and his clearance off the line, obviously, being the highlight. And and, and the game finished, obviously, in quite comical fashion, with one Mila Yedinak being the target man up front on his own. It was a joy to watch. To watch the beard, the beard in full flow. As I've said on every episode, why Bruce never played Yedinak as a centre forward, I will never know. It was the obvious, obvious yeah. choice. Why he tried him at centre back? Complete waste of time. Yeah. But sorry, going back to you did some research on this, and you haven't even mentioned it. Yes, you no. Know, off the back of the uh, the incident at Ellen Road, we'd had, we'd had a little read up to find well, has this happened before in English football? In which it has, and and not only has it happened, there is a Villa link of one uh, Harry Forrester. Oh, obviously, didn't, I don't think he ever put on a Villa shirt, did he? But he came through the, the youth system. I think he was around the, the next-gen era, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he was. I think he was highly tipped. Uh, but I, I knew this would have happened before because it's something, uh, you know, there must have been a precedent, but I just I didn't know exactly yeah. when. So I think it was August 2015, if I'm right in saying. I think it was the first day of the season as well. So Forrester accidentally scored a last-minute goal for Doncaster against Berry when I think it was a, a throw-in. For a, for a drop ball was given to him. It's bounced up, he's pinged it, and it's gone over the goalkeeper. Paul Dickov at the time, who is his manager for Doncaster, was later awarded uh, a special fair play award for basically allowing Berry to run through and score a 95th minute equaliser. Yeah, and I think Bielsa, I don't think he'll win an award, but what he does do, I think he does wipe the slate clean from that Spygate uh I think so. I think he certainly gained a lot of, um, you know, a lot of credit. And I think because it was a live TV game as well, of course, it gives it a lot more press yeah. than potentially if it had been a, a much lower, a, a lower game. I mean, I read an article just to ram home the fact that it actually was Dean Smith's suggestion, and it was good yeah. to see the Villa manager thinking on the spot rather than just moaning in retrospect uh, after the game. Uh, yeah, because it could know, have it was... could have very easily just been handbags on the touchline as well, and nothing gained from it. Yeah, it was like a rational suggestion. And they put right, obviously, uh, the rescinding of the three-game ban of El Ghazi was the ultimate uh, right in the end. But in terms of the actual game and the score, it kind of put right, because I think ultimately that game would have finished nil-nil. Yeah. Anyway, local newspaper, Yorkshire Post, have, and other I mean, fans of both teams have been suggesting this is a potential rehearsal for the playoff final. Now, I wouldn't want to uh, bang on about that, because I think of all the tests left ahead uh, in the playoffs... I think the double date with the baggies is the hardest task of anything that's going to be put forward. I fancy us against Leeds on an open pitch at Wembley in a one-off baggies. I'm not 100% sure, but at the same time, if we hammered the baggies both legs, you wouldn't be surprised. I think it's it's the it's the thing of having to go to the Hawthorne second leg, isn't it? I think um we'd be I think we're yeah. reasonably confident against anybody had come into Villa Park and our defensive record currently is very good. Albion Albion always give you a chance. We did put up a good show against the Beggies at the Hawthorns. I mean, better than we did at Villa Park. And I actually think yeah. Albion were a better side then, and we were when we were a worse side. We'll talk about that game as it comes onto the horizon. Uh, just mentioning that dress rehearsal, though, uh, you did some Spygate stats, which essentially uh, is Leeds. Obviously, they were top kicking ass, and as we alluded to earlier on, most teams that are top at Christmas, if they're not winning 
the league. They uh, do get promoted. It's happened in the last 10 seasons. But since Spygate, as uh, Mr. Bud uh, found out, Leeds' form has, I mean, it's, it's dropped substantially. Limited, yeah. I mean, in the, in the was it 18 games, 18, 19 games since that, they've won nine, fair enough, but they've, they've been defeated seven times, which is, you'd call it sort of mid-table, very mediocre form with two draws, but also, I suppose, showing why they've had the run they've had. In those 18 games, they've only scored 25 and conceded a goal a game. With Villa, obviously, in comparison, Villa have played their 17. Villa had won 11, drawn five and lost two and scored 32, keeping six clean sheets, taking home 38 points, which is a nine-point swing on Leeds, which is a big points difference for a team who are obviously in the automatic positions. So what you're basically saying is Leeds were profiteering on uh, their illicit information from spying on other teams' training. Well, quite possibly. It's, I mean, it's proven. And, and the stats... Proven. Stats don't lie, Dave. (laughs) I mean, essentially, Leeds have stopped scoring. Because they've got no idea how uh, the other team's defence plays now. I've said I feel confidence against Leeds at Wembley. Would you, in a nutshell? With Abraham, yes. And and as you said, I think think on a bigger pitch, um, I also think if when you've got McGinn back without the disciplinary issues looming large, I think you're going to get a very, very energetic Villa side. And I also think now, we don't, when I look a little bit further on the horizon as far as the injury situation we've had, it, we're actually coming up to a point for the first time in certainly Smith's reign that we've actually got pretty much a full-strength squad to pick from for the first time in the whole season. I mean, our squad depth now is, quite frankly, a joke at this level. I think the only question is Horahan or Whelan at Wembley, and I think that you saw at Ellen Road's I was expecting Whelan, and I think Smith was going right. Let's see, yeah. Let's see how Horahan re- reacts because I think he had that one eye on right. Let's let's be offensive at Wembley, and if we get there, and uh, let's go for Horahan. And I think Horahan passed the test to get the the start at Wembley if we do play Leeds. I think he gives you that extra gear, doesn't he, in the final third that maybe Whelan doesn't. Yeah. But I think, do you know what? I think most people now would happily trust both of them. That's one of the things that, you know, everyone believes in most of the options we've got in all positions now. I don't I don't look at Villa and think, oh, we are, we've got a real weak link there. Yeah, but I think, I think Whelan may get the nod for the Baggies game. I would have thought so, especially away from home, depending on obviously how the first one pans out. Yeah. So in a nutshell, uh, Smith's has got a malleable, let's say, f- first 30. I mean, the defence, the good thing about that, people slot in and out of that, especially the centre-back situation. But I think it would be Mings, just because Courtney House has, has basically disappeared and hasn't really got the momentum of yeah. games now leading into the I mean, the he's, a, he's a cracking so player to have in your match day 18. Yeah, and defensively, actually, a little a little word on Jed Steer, who obviously since coming back from you know his loan spell has done fantastically well. You know, I think he's had fourteen starts in a Villa shirt this season. He's won twelve games. He's actually less, yet to lose a game in a Villa shirt. Yeah, it's a pretty good omen. Yeah, Norwich game. We don't want to go into too much detail about this because I think it's a bit of a dead rubber game. Norwich will essentially secure the title if they get a draw. Villa will want to keep unbeaten so they'll be happy with the draw and i think there's going to be big changes i mean what's what's the rule run the rule about so the efl i think it's regulation 24 um, essentially stipulates you know how many players you can rest and it's for for any league match played on or after the fourth 
Thursday in March. Any team sheet for a league game should include at least 10 outfield players who featured on the team sheet for the league match before. And on that sheet, the match day squad, you've got like your Bjarnesons, your Lansbury's, Yedernak. I think they'll all get all get games in there. Yeah. They'll all start, and you've, you know, you've still got people like, you know, Chester Hawes, Kalinic, who've, who can come in. Um, I don't, I don't think, you, you know, you're not going to see the kids getting a run out by any means, but you, you will see one or two. Obviously, McGinn is a guarantee not to play. I think Abraham, you might find is involved, whether he either starts and gets subbed early or he comes off the bench. I, I, I don't yeah, think I don't, I don't think he'll get 90 No, no, I don't think, Met, and I don't think Grealish will, although I think, while I think Grealish will start, I think you'll probably see him get an hour and someone like Lansbury get a run out. And I suppose one of the other little side notes for, for the Norwich game will be, will uh, Will Alan Hutton get a, a bit of a send-off, I suppose? You know, will he get a run out off the bench or a rare start now? Or will Smith you know, stick with what's working defensively? I think you'll see Alan Hutton in that game because there is that avenue you know, to, for a bit of sentiment Even if it's just off the there. bench, I think he might come off the bench yeah. and get a little, you know, get the, let, let him get that applause from the crowd and stuff. Yeah. Because because in, in reality, I can't actually see him even being on the bench in the playoffs. When you've got a full strength squad, you can, you're going to put yeah. Chester and Hawes on the bench over him. But what about right back? Mm-hmm. Maybe because you know if Elmo goes off true, injured, true. Uh, we used to have about six right backs. What happened to all of them? They're playing for it. They're all getting relegated, aren't they? <laughs> If Courtney House is uh, fit, he, he may start. And you might even see Kalinic get a run out, obviously, just to make sure he's yeah. got a little bit of game time behind him going into the playoffs. I don't think he'll start. I think Steer has the shirt now. Yeah, I think Lans- Lans- Lansbury will probably get a start. Because there's a few players that it's all right at them sitting on the bench for the in the playoffs. Uh, that you know that's all well and good, but it's good to have them actually have a few games to tune up for if they are needed. And Lansbury, I think definitely, uh, if he's going to be on the bench in the playoffs, he needs another game. Well, you, you need you need to know minutes. that you can trust your squad, don't you? I think in most positions we yeah. know we can. I think there's a couple of guys in midfield, certainly Bjarnason and Lansbury, the two that really spring to mind. Maybe someone like Keenan Davis as well, who you think that they could yeah. really do with getting you know 60, 70 minutes under their belt or even 90 where possible I don't think Lansbury's actually managed to get 90 minutes under his belt for two seasons has it yeah no exactly anything else in terms of the playoff picture the only real issue is obviously uh, Derby and Middlesbrough by the time you listen to this podcast Derby would have played their game in hand which is a tricky fixture away to Swansea who are over the last six games the third best team in the division on form yeah, they've really crept up, haven't they? From kind of they've gone relatively under the radar. Yeah, but it's too too little, yeah. too late for the Swans. But Borough, they've just got to beat Rotherham uh, at Rotherham. Rotherham are down now, so they're pretty much over. So you'll know more than us listeners uh, by the time you listen to this. But if Borough beat Rotherham, then Derby may need something against the Baggies on the final day. Now the Baggies, if Leeds lose against Ipswich, which I can't really see it. But, you know, Ipswich get an early goal against Leeds. News filters into the Baggies bench. They Suddenly they might up the tempo and go for Derby's throats because they know if they uh, can beat Derby on the last day and Leeds lose against Ipswich, the Baggies will finish third and avoid the mighty Villa in the semi-finals, which I think they would uh, prefer to do that and, you know, play potentially Derby or Middlesbrough rather than uh, the local Derby. So. But uh, we'd have to play Leeds over two legs. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy that at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might as well take on the baggies, you know. Save, save on those uh, getting up at four o'clock in the morning if it's ridiculous o'clock. Because uh, one of the playoffs kicks off at I think 12. it's actually, with, with how things look at the moment, we'd be likely to be the, the Saturday at 12 kickoff against the Albion, not the first the first leg at Villa Park. So um... uh, They should have it at half five. Like oh, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Livens it up a little bit. I've, I've, I've found. 
Uh, there's just one issue. We sorry mentioned it at the top of the show that we would talk about it, and it is a big issue. It's uh, Aston Villa's rather lame record against the current top four teams. In seven attempts, we haven't won one game. Three draws, four defeats. What is the common denominator? One, Alan Hutton played in all of them. Often at left back. Often at left back, it has to be said. And since, obviously, his his, his injury at Stoke, we haven't lost. Are we blaming it all on the Huts? No. I think we haven't ever played uh, one of the top four teams with, let's say, all our big guns. Obviously, Mings came in, uh, and even, you know, Courtney House, you would consider him. Yeah. But let's say, you know, Tuenzebi, Mings, Grealish, Abraham have never been on the same field when we've played the top four teams. So that's what's going to be different in the playoffs. We're going to have a, our strongest team that we've fielded, I think. I think so. I, th- I think you look at this Villa side now in compared to, say, like, if you use the example of when we got obliterated at Bramall Lane earlier in the season, it's a very different landscape. Be it, you know, on, a, on, yeah. you know, on and off the field, I think it's a much more organised team. You look at our defensive record, sort of since the derby game and you know, since we sort of turned the corner and it's defensively is what has been the backbone of what's really improved you know we were always good going forward even under yeah. bruce to be fair i never thought i'd say that but this 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 is a team that's had this has had this team's had firepower hasn't it from the word go really yeah and it's it was it's just a more aggressive uh, and progressive way of playing as and well i think we're a little bit more clinical you know in key areas i think we're much better on the ball and i think the the big thing we've spoke about for probably two seasons now has been our game management now is much better well i wouldn't say that i would say uh, john mcginn's game ah, yes. management <laughs> is much much better than his than his teammates <laughs> Well, the Alan Hutton situation is, uh, he's basically been omnipresent in our failure. Alex McLeish signed him ever since we've been useless. But at the same time, he's actually given us the example of the kind of attitude you need to get out of this He's everything you expect from a cult hero, isn't he? Slightly flawed. While he's the kind of player that's never going to get us anywhere, ultimately, he's got the attitude of what you exactly want. So he's a bit of an oxymoron in that respect. But anyway, uh, we wish him well and uh, hopefully he gets a, a fun send-off at the Norwich game. We, sh- we shook his hands, didn't we, when we, we went did. on that well, he, got, he, got a, he, got a, he got a nice uh, guard of honour, didn't he? Yeah, he got a guard of honour from some Villa fans and he got a kiss as well as uh, a kiss from Dan Rogers, I think he, it was. Got, he got groped. <laughs> anyway, I think it's time to wind up the show. Just a quick shout-out to the Aston Villa under-23s who have also qualified for the playoffs in the... Uh, Second tier of the uh, under-23 Premier League 2. That semi-final will be away at Southampton. I think it's just a one-legged affair. You- it's seeded, isn't it, I think, essentially? Yeah, the, the higher you finish, it's you're seeded. So because we finished bottom of the pile, we will be away in every game. But, you know, who knows? They've been close before. I went to that game against uh, Arsenal when it was at the Emirates. Uh, hopefully, if it's, a, if it's a decent final, it might, might well, I remember going trip. to the... I went to the Brighton playoff last year when they lost as well. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, until uh, until next time, please do uh, follow on Spotify if that's how you listen. Uh, also, subscribe on iTunes so you know when the show drops first. If you want to wear something fancy to the playoffs, do invest in a Mailman Said uh, t-shirt as well. There's so many things to do, isn't there? But most of all, please do become a Mailman Said patron and uh, or a Facebook supporter, and that will be the greatest way you can help the There's show. There's been some very amusing chat on the Facebook group the last couple of weeks, so... Uh... Do feel well, free to yeah, well, been away, yeah. Oh, well, I better check that out. Right, until next time, keep dreaming about that win at Wembley. And it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. My old man. <laughs>
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.